You're tuned in to episode 27 of the Comics Pals podcast. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Uh, this is Victor, you stupid Yankees. <laughs> Come on, man. That, that was two weekends worth? Like, really? <laughs> you had two weeks to prepare, and that's the best you got. <laughs> so... Unfortunately for all the rest of us, <laughs> Phil is back. Phil has returned. He managed an escape from the Russian hand. Phil, do you want to fill us in on that escape? Ooh. Well, yeah, actually, it was really triumphant, guys. I'm really glad you're giving me the soapbox to talk about it because <laughs> I had to navigate through tunnels and I had to go through channels. That's really great. Uh, so <laughs> if you want to find us all over the internet, you can do so. <laughs> By hitting us up on any podcast hosting uh, forum like iTunes where we are a five-star rated podcast for which we are very, very proud. You can also reach out to us on social media like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And you can check us out on YouTube where if you are watching this on YouTube, you can leave us a like, leave a comment. And you can subscribe to our channel and share this with your friends. That's the best way that you guys out there can help us out is by letting your friends know that we're your friends too. So, uh, thank you. So, it's been an interesting morning. Like uh, today, <laughs> Comic-Con tickets went on sale. New York Comic-Con tickets. Uh, all of us live in the sort of tri-state area and... We want to go to Comic-Con. So Pete and I worked on getting those tickets. Pete was able to get his within the first 20 or so minutes. I, on the other hand, took about an hour and a half to get my tickets, which uh, was not a fun experience. I was on the edge of my seat, quite literally. And boy, and boy did we hear about it. What? <laughs> you didn't hear about it. <laughs> oh, Dude, like, I loved it, because by the end of it, it was like, I felt like I was watching, like, a fucking <laughs> basketball game, you know? It was just like, oh, shit, like, it was so tense, you know? And then, like, I uh, I made the mistake earlier, because I couldn't get in contact with my girlfriend, and I didn't have the email that she registered her, uh, her fan verification with, so, like, I was kind of like, not only was I like, oh, God, is Sean going to get to go? It was like, oh, God, am I going to end up in the doghouse later today when I see her? <laughs> so... Uh, m- m- <laughs> You're very welcome, there, Sean. <laughs> so, really quick before we dive into the show, big show. We're going to be talking about Tom King, one of the. Well, oh, Phil. <laughs> God, the show is so smooth without you. <laughs> we're gonna, we're going to be talking about Tom King and putting the spotlight on him as one of our favorite creators of the recent history. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know that we've been talking about a lot of his books over the last couple of months. We basically call him out like every week. (laughs) And so we figured we might as well do an episode about him. But before we get into all that stuff, I do want to ask, how are we doing this week? Anybody want to share a little bit about their week with us? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I, as you know, I was anyway, so how are you doing, man? I heard you got to Mario Kart, Pete. That sounds uh Yeah. I've been waiting yeah. to play the new Mario Kart on Switch yeah, for so really long. Cool. I picked up Mario Kart and um speaking of which, I guess this will be a good time to do this. Uh this week we're gonna be actually be launching a new podcast, uh called The Video Game Pals, where um if you guys have been a regular listener, you know that I have a, a YouTube channel all around uh gaming and where I had a podcast over there. 
Um, that channel, Slack and Slash, is going to be ending, and uh, we decided to bring the Slack cast kind of over to the Comics Pals. Now it's going to be rebranded as the Video Game Pals. Sean's going to be one of the hosts. The first episode should be up by, like, Wednesday, I think we're thinking. So um, please go check that out uh, if you guys are gamers and you're interested. Um, and, uh, yeah, Mario Kart 8 is a fucking bomb. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really cool that you... Uh you know work so hard to escape like the the russian gulag of a uh of an, of an old partnership and you're you're really coming back and forging yeah. it into something new yeah you know it's like cattle prodded <laughs> <laughs> i feel like you know what, what we had to do is the the podcast was forged much like iron man's armor in the fires of our friendship and you know it's going to survive you know like a phoenix and rise the, the, oh, the yeah, shrapnel like the sh- with with like the shrapnel of phil still in your heart that yeah keeps you from but but you thankfully know. we have sean now as an arc reactor to keep you know to keep phil mm. away so it's gonna I be have, all right yeah, it's good i have an arc reactor in my anus now <laughs> oh man to keep the shrapnel away from all my intestines and shit welcome back yeah really oh it's so exciting you have no idea what i went through yeah marco just how's it going man oh it's been pretty good it's been uh it's been a busy week got you got to do a lot uh, a lot of a lot of reading and um a lot of a lot of buying of art um uh, uh, tell the tell, the tell the kids about the the commission issue that you're having yeah so i got this commission from tyler crook as you guys know he's like my he, he's like currently one of my favorite artists uh he does stuff for harrow county he's doing the covers on um man thing right now and so i i, I sent in this request for a commission through his um through the company that he's published that he's represented by comics cadence and so i ordered this commission and um it's supposed to be you know within 30 days that's when the art will be shipped out and you should be receiving it within that time frame it's been 41 and uh i've been sending emails like hey like you know what's going on can i get an update on the time frame i, I really want to see this commission like you know like hey what's going on and nothing like radio silence <laughs> so i'm starting to starting to worry my heart's been replaced by a pig's heart <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> so marco uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I think I, what I'd like to do here is extend the 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 moderate power we have of the pals. Tweet at this company and tell them to fucking email Marco back. This is some bullshit. And don't blame the artist. It's not his fault. It's obviously it's know, not. No, it's definitely not it's his, 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 his fault at all. Yes, it's the representation, right? They they told me thirty days and they have failed on upon the delivery. It's not dependent on Tyler Crook at all. Like he yeah, does his thing. He's a very bu- very businessman. You know, it's comics cadence. Go tweet at them. Be like, yo, what the fuck. You're fucking with the comics pals, man. <laughs> That's right. Do you do you know who we are? Do you know who we <laughs> think we are? No, no one else. No one else does either. I watched a man die in my arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kale. Uh, so what's going on with you, man? I watched a man die in my arms. <laughs> That's horrible. In light of my experience, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, doing this and having a day job is the worst thing ever. I'm I'm just gonna put it that way. Uh, it's the worst. That's all I've got. I don't know. Yo, you have it so bad, Kale. I've had a garbage week. So bad after what I went through. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear you're having such a rough time, Kale. (laughs) 
Did you have to shoot know, a baby in front of her mother? Did you? Was there anything you enjoyed this week, Kale? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I read uh, Headlopper this week by oh, Andrew nice. McLean. Um, it's. Uh, I think I described it in the chat as uh, Conan the Barbarian meets Samurai Jack. Uh, and it's man, it's incredible. Um, everyone should go buy this this book. I've waited for a long time to get it. Uh, it's twenty bucks. It's a full like six issue thing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Awesome. Well, you weren't forced to watch bad X Men movies over and over and over again. X Men three, over and over and over. Hey. Hey, here's, wait, is, here's a th- is, is that here's admission, a thing. sorry, is that admission from Phil that Fox made a bad X-Men movie? <laughs> I, well, see, here's the thing, Sean. I don't think that actually happened because he hasn't seen any bad X-Men movies, so. Are you denying it? <laughs> I'm denying your experience, yeah. Oh, my God. God. Uh, oh my god, no. Oh my <laughs> We gotta god. pull this plane up. <laughs> well... I'm I'm glad to hear that we all had such interesting weeks. Uh, Phil, sounds like you've had an interesting time as well. Yeah, I'm glad. You're anyway, to so let's let's actually <laughs> let's actually move on. Uh, uh, Phil, I think you had a question for us. Yeah, all right. I so. guess that means it's time for the random question of the week. You son of a bitch. Yeah, so while I was being held by the Russian hand, uh, one thing Victor, who is my personal bodyguard... See, it doesn't, it doesn't sound that bad. He got to hold the Russian hand. You had a personal bodyguard? <laughs> so what are you, the fucking czar over there? Doesn't sound like you were any kind of prisoner. Well, like, every time I was held in the small cell that I was, he was the guy I was stationed outside of my cell. And we talked a lot. Uh, I told him I hosted a podcast. He punched me in the face a lot. He didn't really care. <laughs> but... But what he wanted to know is who everyone's favorite Russian comic book character was. Oh. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I guess mine, I don't know much about him, but I guess I would say the Crimson Dynamo. I need to preface this really carefully right now. If you don't choose correctly, I will be abducted again. <laughs> Great. So I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, the Crimson Dynamo, uh, specifically because of his name. Like, I love, I love the word dynamo, and I could say dynamo, all dynamo, dynamo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank Hottest you. of the takes, baby. <clears throat> Man, that's a tough one. Uh, you said, did you say Russian villain or Russian character? Character. character. Uh, Colossus. Oh, that's a yeah, good that's, one. Oh, that's a good one. See, that's actually like a kid. That's a solid pick. Um, Wait, yeah. Yeah. I'm into that. Um, I think I, I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning towards Red Sun Superman. Oh, uh-huh. hell yeah, baby! It's like kind of a weird one, but that book is so goddamn good. Um, and yeah, so that's gonna, that's gonna be my pick. That's a fun one. Okay, Marco. Sorry, Marco, choose carefully. Um. Uh. I don't. I don't know any. Just pick Black Widow. <laughs> oh shit! I think Marco might be the next one abducted. <laughs> <laughs> I sincerely don't know any. Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow. Is she cool. Russian? I thought she's American. No, she's Russian. Scarlett Johansson uh, is American in those movies, seemingly. 
She no, she uh, no, she just has an accent. She yeah, just she... adopts American accent because she's mm-hmm. a spy. Or I think yeah, I think handsome. that's I think that's the you know what we're told. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if we ever saw a flashback, if they ever gave her own movie, that she would have a Russian accent. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. This this is me holding my breath. <laughs> so, Marco, your answer is Black Widow. No, I don't like that answer. Give oh. me another one. Well, we picked uh, it, so... <laughs> I'm going to go for a deep cut. I'm going to go for, like, a really deep cut. There's this one Russian villain in Swamp Thing that's, like... I think it's, like, oh it's really, like, deep in there. Like, like, <laughs> like, one... Can we cut like you in, off? It, Can we cut It's, like, you in off? 120-something. <laughs> but uh, I'll go with that guy. His name's what? Rasputin or something. <laughs> Probably. Real talk, real talk, my favorite Russian comic book character is Cosmo... The- uh, telepathic dog from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. Yeah. Solid. That's a That's good. Solid pick. too. That was a good question. I, I had to, I had to think about that for a moment, and then I realized, yeah. wait, there's Colossus. Yeah, we had some good ones though. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because while I was at the camp, they actually told so me that. So if you guys want to <laughs> submit random questions for us, you can absolutely do so, and we will we will read them on the air. We've done it in the past. You can submit those by writing to us at thecomicspals at gmail and uh, we will definitely read them. We love to read your mail, your questions, your comments, why you dislike Phil. We love to read all that stuff uh, live on the air. So definitely do share that with us. Now, we're going to dive into the news. Uh, there's It was an interesting news week. If you are not a fan of Marvel, I'm sorry. Uh, because <laughs> um, there was a lot of Marvel stuff. This time around. Um, Got a couple cool DC bits, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so we're going to kick it off with some interesting news about Marvel's future in the comic book world. We finally know what they're going to do post-Secret Empire. And that initiative is called Legacy. So Legacy will, quote-unquote... Uh, This is a quote by Joe Quesada. Embrace our roots and move enthusiastically forward. Move enthusiastically backward. (laughs) (laughs) Meats and potatoes. Backpedaling the event. We've talked a lot. (laughs) We've we've talked a lot about uh, the new direction that they've been going over the past few years and how it's kind of alienated older fans. This is clearly their attempt at bringing those people back into the fold. Uh, I've got a few quotes that I would like to read for you guys. Um, so this this is a quote-unquote bold new direction that's going to begin with a 50-page uh, one-shot called Marvel Legacy Number no. 1 by Jason Aaron and Asad Rabich that will feature the earth-shattering return of a loved Marvel mainstay. So we'll do a little speculation about who that could be in a little bit. And it's going to, they're going to bring back. Oh, the... wait, shit. I know who it is. Fuck. Yeah. Sorry. It's obvious. Come Sorry. on. <laughs> I like, I've been, I've been trying to like put it together, but, the, but like, oh, it's wait, it's Wolverine. Do you think? I think it's, yeah. I think it's the real Captain America. I, I think, it's, think it's, I think it's Reed Richards. Oh, okay. Shit. Okay. That's a good yeah, one too. That yeah. Okay. My name is Pete. Right. It's obvious. Oh, wait. There are other things it could be. <laughs> uh, I think it's Nightcrawler. Um, but the original guys, Nightcrawler. It, it, it might be Firestar, guys. <laughs> so. <laughs> could be Thor. So here's the. Oh, that's actually true too. Shit. 
Thor's but Thor's not dead. Yeah, but he yeah. might be restored he, to Thor. He baby. just he just sucks. You mean he might be he might be restored, Phil? Oh. Marco had a sweet dubstep track there. <laughs> you mean he might be he might be restored, Phil? He might be restored, Phil. I, I would offer that whoever it is going to be is not going to be is not someone on this banner page right here because Bruce that would banner. be an obvious oh god anyway here's a quote <laughs> from Joe Quesada the Marvel Legacy Initiative is a celebration of everything that makes Marvel the best in fiction and it's a signifier of a new era for Marvel Comics it's a loving look at the heart of Marvel as we embrace our roots and move enthusiastically forward with all the Marvel characters you know and love starring in the biggest, boldest, best Marvel stories all of which kicks off with the giant Marvel Legacy special so that's cool Uh, but then of course the natural question is where does that leave the new characters, such as uh, Miss Marvel, right? So here's another quote. From there, the Marvel Legacy Initiative spreads out across the Marvel Universe, showcasing epic storylines hearkening back to the glory days of Marvel, starring Odin's son, Squirrel Girl, Spider-Man, The Avengers, America Chavez, Iron Man, Moon Knight, The Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, Luke Cage, The X-Men, Captain America, Miss Marvel, Deadpool, The Champions, Wolverine, Ironheart, Hulk, The Punisher, and so many more. I'm pretty sure they could have added that so many more like 10 heroes ago. (laughs) But at any rate, that gives us... (laughs) I know, that was a very long list. That gives us a good idea of where Marvel is going in the future. Thoughts? After so many listed there, what could be the so many more at that point? (laughs) (laughs) Howard the Duck. It's just like their publishing line. Just way too much. Right. That's what I was, way too much. That's what I was gonna say. Is like that's kind of my my concern walking away from from this announcement. Is like there there are so many more because that sounds like definitely enough. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, like I really think like Marvel needs to get away from publishing like so many titles and really try to like hone in and you know like give us a few that are really really effective and build out from there and not like. I think it was Kale who posted a thing um, recently on a, oh yeah, it was on our Facebook page where it was like a quote from an article that was making the point of like, we had this great Black Panther book that came out and it was, everyone was loving it and it's selling really well. So let's add two spinoffs. It's like, oh, okay. Like let's, I, less is more, you know? Not to mention that those spinoffs aren't good. So right. yeah, it, it yep. waters the whole product down and uh, they, they have a tendency to do that. There's no question. DC, I would say has objectively been better at keeping the amount of titles that they publish down. Uh, believe it or not, there are only there's only one main Batman book, and then there's All Star Batman, but that's it. The other books that Bat- the Batman appears in one other title, but that book is a is a vehicle for other characters, not Batman. Right. It's just there. So yeah. you're saying Detective Comics? Yeah, exactly. The way you guys put it, it really just all sounds like bad bowel movements. Like Pete, like made it sound like, oh, I'm walking away from this, like as if he just had a past a big bowel movement. And Sean's like, at least DC can keep it down. <laughs> so you guys are really making Marvel's publication line right now really sound like just like almost like IBS or something. I mean, Damn. it's it's not a bad analogy where they're yeah. currently at. <laughs> I mean, 
I, you know, I'm excited for this. You know, uh, we've we've established I'm a Marvel boy, and uh, you know, I'll I'll take the disappointment every year and then get excited when they make a new announcement. I feel like this could be really good. Uh, I think Marvel has been taken to task a lot over the last few months to a year, and I think that they've probably learned some lessons. Uh, I think you guys make valid points about their publishing line, though. It's too much, and they need to stream streamline it and scale back. One thing I am really excited about, though, is um, this was the same announcement where they said that they were going to be bringing back the, the numbering of, of the books, right? Yep. So what's the deal with that? Are they picking up? where they left off or are they counting all the ones that have happened since do you know i be- i believe the way it works uh because dc did this with uh detective comics and action comics is they count the stuff in between that's what they're doing that i, th- I think so i mean unless they do something weird but marvel like, has that's... marvel has historically done that okay cool so. that's awesome i mean like that's a thing i'm really happy to see personally um, cause like, that's a thing that matters to me in, for some weird reason, you know, like, I, I, I guess it's kind of arbitrary, but like, I, I don't like the, the strategy that Marvel's been employing over the last couple of years of like getting those, those short returns by giving new number ones. Cause number ones sell really well. Um, and I would, I would really, I think that like having this kind of numbering is, positive because it, it, it seems to me anyway to signal that we might actually see them going back to like letting a series breathe for a while and not constantly like cutting it off at the legs and you know trying to do something new no one likes that that marketing strategy man like, no it's it sucks and i mean it, it defeats the purpose of comics yeah like it, it's again it's it's this mentality of well if we do a number one then we'll bring in new fans or we'll get new eyes on the book and it just doesn't work like that. It, it, it doesn't. You know, like, yeah, okay, maybe a few people will pick it up because it's Amazing Spider-Man number one. But, like, it still has a tie-in to the stuff that came before. And after ten issues, if you haven't read the, the prior ten, you're going to be lost anyway. So there's no, there isn't any way to bring new readers on board. Although I will credit them... Uh, recently what they've been doing is that when a new arc starts for a series they'll say on the on the cover page this is the first issue of this arc so they yeah see yeah that's the that's the benefit i see is that is you know you know when a good jumping on point is uh but yeah i mean as far as the constant renumbering like yeah that doesn't make any sense it's it's unsavory too like I, i i just don't like it um, but yeah, and to, uh, to Sean's point, I think, um, you know, not to get too in the weeds about it, but like, I think like they need to, and by they, I mean like the big two, they need to like accept that like superhero comics, like the regular monthly ongoings are not for casual readers, you know, like, and if they want to have stuff that's going to bring in like new people, like stuff like vision is going to do that. You know, where it's that's yeah. a self-contained yeah. narrative that's really good. And if you want to read a superhero story, that's a great superhero story to read. And then if you're done with that and that was enough to get you in, you'll go check out other stuff, you know? And I think you, you got to have that. You got to have the the regular monthly, as Phil likes to put them, like meat and potato comics for like the diehards. And if you want to have point of entries, create point of entry comics. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that that makes perfect sense. And, you know, you can't, 
always have, uh, you know, like every month have a, a vision type book starting up. But I think that there's there's absolutely room to create these opportunities. Do a few for, of them a year. Yeah, absolutely. How many how many people who don't read Marvel on a normal basis were reading Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David Aja? Like a lot of people love that. And I don't know about you guys in particular, but I'm sure there were some people who read that book and then said, hey, I want to check out X, you know, or Y. Yeah. Or they go pick up the new Hawkeye Monthly. Right. You know? why, why, why was a garbage book? I don't, I don't recommend oh that. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, uh, one thing I, I do want to – I <laughs> what a bombshell just to Shh. drop and walk Shut out of. Shut up, Phil. Uh, one thing I do want to pick up uh, – in that in that whole thing though is that uh jason aaron is writing the uh the title the generations number one or whatever the marvel legacy one shot yeah that's a one yeah uh he's really good i'm at, i'm um, at least gonna pick that up i'll i'll read yeah. the 50 page whatever like and i'll see how i feel about it and if it and if it gives me a good vibe then i'll go and check out some of the other stuff i would yeah. love to care yeah. about marvel again you know like it's so weird to me that, like, you know, I'm fucking, like, you know, we're going to talk about it later, but, like, I'm reading, like, a Batman monthly book, and I've never done that before, and I'm just like, man, I miss reading superhero comics. This is great. <laughs> Marco, will you buy the Marvel Legacy number one? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's honest. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, moving right along, we got some interesting news about... Avengers Infinity War and beyond this week. So we now know that Avengers Infinity War is set four years after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is set a few months after the first film, which James Gunn recently confirmed. And everybody kind of assumed that, you know, it that probably Guardians was taking place ahead of everything else. So Guardians 1 was probably taking place now as opposed to back when it actually came out. But as it turns out, it actually only it, it actually did take place back then and so we're going to get a 4-year gap between Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and so Infinity you're saying, War. So what you're saying is that the events of Guardians of the Galaxy happened before some of the events that we've seen on Earth, or concurrently? Yes. So the so let me let me read the quote from um, from Kevin Feige. So he, he he talked about this during a press event, and this is what he said: Yeah, knowing that outside of the Guardians franchise, we don't necessarily always date the movies. You don't always know. We don't say 2012, 2013. We do in the Guardians because you do the math in 1998 or 1988, and it's 26 years later. But we never say, oh, this takes place in 2018, this play- this takes place in 2017. But it was important for the story that James wanted to tell that they're still relatively fresh in their new group. So what that means is that this movie actually takes place before Age of Ultron, before Captain America Civil War, before all of that. Okay, so, but so after Avengers. But after Avengers, yeah. So I think that that's that's really interesting because it means that the Guardians are going to be in a different place than where we leave off with them in in Volume 2. In fact, Kevin Feige had to say, 
They have involved they have evolved slightly in some recognizable ways, but really they'll be the guardians and dealing with the shitstorm they have to deal with. So my guess is that's that's their way that we can get baby Groot, but then we can also get big big boy Groot back for for when we need him for Infinity Wars. That's cool. Makes sense. Yeah, that 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 seems to make sense. Um, In addition to that, we also learned this week that the reason why we don't know the name of Avengers Four is because it's definitely a post Infinity War spoiler. So, originally, Avengers 3 and 4 were set to shoot uh, concurrently, and there was titled Avengers Infinity War 1 and Avengers Infinity War 2. Now, Avengers Infinity War 2, what would have been that, is now just titled Avengers 4 for the time being until they reveal what the name will ultimately be. Uh, And Kevin Feige also had something to say about that. Uh, he was asked if if that was the reason because the title is a spoiler, and he said, "Yeah, for sure." Uh, so, what do you guys think about that? What could I mean, it be? Do you go when you want to speculate? Infinity Gauntlet, right? Because doesn't it go Infinity War then Infinity Gauntlet? Oh, I wonder if it's Secret War. Oh, that would be interesting. But I, I'm assuming it's going to still be connected to Thanos. Now, like it's going to be a direct reaction to that because they were supposed to be part one and part two yeah so i'm i, I think it's way unless too they're throwing us off that's true or i think it's too hard to speculate until guardians comes out which is like two weeks from when we're recording i think i know it's literally this week this week okay yeah. so i think that will provide a bigger picture because we don't know who the primary antagonist of the third avengers movie will be and how that will shake out i mean it'll be thanos it's definitely so maybe so maybe he won't be the antagonist of four, you know. I mean, I don't know, man. I'm inclined to think that just based take- on, I I I would think that normally, but based on the fact that these movies were originally called Part One and Part Two, I'm inclined to think that they're probably directly connected. But now and, they're split. Yeah, but possibly. Like, you yeah, know what I mean? I, like it's totally feasible. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, like maybe they restructured things and decided that they could complete this in one movie. But based on that and based on them saying that this is a spoiler for the previous one, I'm inclined to think like based on my knowledge of of Thanos that it's probably the first Thanos storyline in the first movie where he collects all the gems and gets the cosmic cube and then he dies and comes back and makes the Infinity Gauntlet. I don't think he's going to die, but maybe he doesn't actually form the Infinity Gauntlet and gain like omnipotence and omnipresence and everything until the second movie. And it's like the first movie deals with him having like, you know, the Tesseract or something like that and trying to get the rest of the gems or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I don't, that was like, that would line up anyway. So we'll, we'll see what happens in guardians too, at least I've, I've speculated for a little while now that there. Okay, so there are two Infinity Gauntlets in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I've I've speculated for a while that the end of uh, Avengers 3 would be the good team, you know, the Avengers, getting one of the gauntlets and some of the gems so that in the second movie they could combat Thanos using that. Uh... I actually think Captain America dies in Avengers 3 and then maybe comes back at the tail end. 
and he get with the gauntlet or something along those lines. That was actually the thing I was going to suggest as well <clears throat> is because um the conclusion of one of the or not the conclusion but kind of like the midway point of one, of the I think of the actual Infinity Gauntlet miniseries because I can't remember at, at this point it's been so long since I read them but Thanos wipes out half the life in the universe and a bunch of heroes on Earth die like half the X Men are dead. Like Cap and Iron Man, I think die and shit. So like that could be the that could be the case, and maybe we do see them die and then come back in the fourth movie, or maybe that's Marvel's way of actually killing off some of the Avengers. You know, because like we've also been speculating, like how maybe you know if Chris Evans is done, and maybe they're gonna recast, or maybe they're gonna you know um, like let Winter Soldier become Cap, or or any of these things that we've been you know potentially thinking about. Like that might be a good way to do that. But assuming that it is following the um, the actual like Infinity Gauntlet, I mean, they get resurrected, so they're they're gonna come back. I don't. These movies kind of loosely follow story arcs, anyway. You know, right? That's the thing. It's like if they are faithful to it, I think Sean's probably right, and it will be a death and rebirth thing. But you know, to Phil's point, like who knows? Um, in the second Avengers movie, they kind of tease uh, Captain America using Mjolnir. Which I could see happening in the third Avengers movie. That would be such a dope moment. I, I could, I they've done that a few times in major events, so that would be a thing I could definitely see happening. Yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could see that as well. Uh, it's just really interesting to me that whatever Avengers four is gonna be, that they decided to uh, sort of go away from calling it Infinity War Part Two. Uh, I wonder what the thought process was behind that. And I guess it's it's just one of those things where we're not going to know. We probably won't have an answer until Avengers and uh, Avengers Infinity War releases and we get to the end of the movie. That'll probably be when we'll figure that out. So I guess stay tuned for that. Uh, I, there was a there was a little rumor about it, too, though, where I know like Zoe. Um, what's it? Zaldana, I think is her name. Yeah, she like some people think she leaked an informa- information about it because she made mention of the gauntlet for four. So it seems to be at the very least, we we have pretty good idea that like Thanos is going to be there and there's going to be an infinity gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that, I don't think there's any way he's not in four. Yeah. I'm with you on that one because they've been building him up for 10 years. They're not going to, they're not going to like get rid of him in one film, at least not in my opinion. Kale. I was just going to say, the only thing I hope comes out of the, uh, these movies is that uh, Peter Quill gets an iPod. <laughs> Poor guy. Nobody nobody deserves an iPod more than Peter Quill. So we got some, we got some words from Fox. Uh, we learned the release date for a few of their films, uh, including Deadpool 2. So we now know that Deadpool 2 will release June 1st, 2018. Uh, so this is the sequel to the original Deadpool film, which was a pretty big hit in 2016, especially for an R-rated film. Uh, now everyone's a Deadpool fan, so that's exciting. And then we also know that uh, we're going to get New Mutants, April 13th, 2018. And we're going to get Dark Phoenix, November 2nd, 2018. So Dark Phoenix is the sequel to what they've been doing uh, over at Fox with the mutants, the last movie was uh, Days of Future. No, it was not Days of Future Past. It was Apocalypse. That and was Dark the last Phoenix. good movie. 
<laughs> yes. Sure. Dark Phoenix will serve as a follow-up to that. Uh, what New Mutants is, we don't exactly know. Um, I, but- hope, I, hope, I hope Kitty Pryde leads the team. I hope it's Kitty and Nightcrawler, and it's like based on the like that era of X-Men. But they can't, because they're not going like, to go to space or anything, so... Yeah. Uh, what, well, what is interesting about this is that uh, New Mutants is coming out only six weeks before Deadpool 2. So they're not really giving too much breathing room there. Yeah, that's really weird. Especially because, like, I didn't even know that was a thing until you just said it right now. Like, Yeah. It's like, did they just announce it? Or has that been, like, cooking? This is, well, the, the movie itself we've known about for okay. a while. But they just gave us the release date. Yeah. Right, yeah, because I had never even heard that they were making a new mutants movie. So yeah, not a, not an official word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super weird. Yeah, um, it, it's been a it's been in the in the rumor mill for some time. So we now have, you know, full confirmation with a release date, and you know, I think that's cool. I think we need some fresh blood, and I think we need a spin off sort of team for the X Men. Uh, I thought that the that that the first spinoff team we would get would be X Force, but that's obviously not the case at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited by the idea of, and we talked about this in our X Men special, but like I'm excited by the idea of, of getting a movie that is going to be removed from Professor X and Magneto, Dark Phoenix. The, well, I mean, and and New Mutants and New Mutants, yeah, yeah. Both of those films are going to be toning down their presence a lot, so. I'm I'm very happy with that. Like the the idea that like the New Mutants movie will hopefully like be totally separate from the main team is like an that's an exciting prospect at least for me. Yeah, totally. Uh, Just give me my girl Kitty. <laughs> Dude, he's like Bendis. He's got the biggest crush on Kitty Pride. Dude, because Chris Claremont wrote her really well for like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Dude, have you seen Kitty Pride? Guys, How do you not have a crush. Just put it away. Dra- Put it away. Sorry, we're not. Sorry, we're not all Sean and have a crush on the worst character in the universe. Jean, uh, sorry, uh, Jean Grey is who I was referencing there. <laughs> Excuse me. You got did, did I cut out? Did my internet blink? I didn't want to. No, no, not at all. I want to cut you out, Kale. Can we? Can we have a vote? Can we stop the show really quick and just vote on whether or not Kale should be on this show anymore? I want to take him to task. Comics Pals Court, right now. Let's do it. You tell me, for all the times we've threatened to kick out Phil, now we're going to try and actually get a vote going? Yes. The referendum. Anyway, can we talk about the fact that they're they're once again going to do the Dark Phoenix storyline? Not only are they doing it again, but they're going all the way by calling this movie Dark Phoenix. What are the chances that they screw it up? Oh, like uh, 100%. pretty hundred percent, yeah. very high. I would yeah. honestly say more than a hundred percent, like one hundred and fifty percent. Okay, so cool. Good. Like, like it's not, even, it's not even Jean Grey. Could like, it's like good. it's like Scott. Oh my <laughs> god, Mark! That would be so funny. <laughs> uh, no, but you know what? It's just like the Dark Phoenix storyline was so good because of the way that comics used to be written. Because like that X Men storyline was. Like, it went on for so long, and, like, you were invested in Jean, and it was, like, hard to see her go through that, and, like, you felt the pain that the team was going through. And, like, we're not going to have that. Like When you say that, based off the way comics used to be written, are you saying, like, 
you know, I'm taking a jab at what we were talking about earlier, Phil. Relax. Are you saying it's dated? Uh, no, like the Beatles. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's like the good old days, like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> in the original trilogy, right, which ended with X-Men The Last Stand, which, as we uh, noted earlier, is uh, not good. I had to He's watch off. it over and over. I have Stockholm Syndrome anyway, for that movie so now. They, they had it's, sl- ju- it's, it's just like Phil, a hot dumpster fire of a person. <laughs> the movie is a person now? I don't even know how to address that. They had three films <laughs> to build up the Jean Grey character. This time... They've only built her up in the prior film, and then Dark Phoenix will be the, well, Dark Phoenix storyline. So they're doing an even worse job of establishing the character, her motivations, and the Phoenix character than they did the last time around. So as a fan, I feel even less good about this. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you shouldn't. I mean, like, especially when you think about the fact that, like, the one movie that they used to build her up was like the, the, the by all accounts like not good. <laughs> yeah, although I will say I enjoyed her character in the movie. I really like the actress. I again I I didn't see it because like everyone that you saw it you were like don't even bother, you know? No. So I was like, "All right, fuck it." No. No but reason. uh I really like her as uh Sansa Stark on um on Game of Thrones, so. Yeah. Yeah. She gets she gets a lot of flack as an actress, but I I thought she did a a fine job, and it's unfortunate that they're going to ruin Jean Grey and Dark Phoenix and Phoenix again. Round two, film. baby. Yep. So, I gotta tell you, might be pretty good. All right, my God, <laughs> Phil. Can we vote? Okay, forget Kale. Can we throw can we, Phil? We don't even need to throw him out. Can we just vote that Phil's never allowed to say it could be good again? Because anything could be good. Put that it is on such a, shirt, a non-opinion. <laughs> Put it on a shirt, baby. <laughs> yeah, right? We should just get a, a like um, a minimalist picture of Phil and just say, could be, like, could be good. Like, <laughs> the only thing that can't be good is Phil. I'm sick of this. Whoa. <laughs> sick Wait, of it. I, I need to bring something up real quick. Sean, are no, you thanks. responsible for my abduction? Anyway, we did get some DC <laughs> stuff. We got some DC news. and Some pretty big DC news, actually. Yeah, I would say that this stuff is pretty exciting. We got more news about Young Justice and some news about a live-action Titans show. So first, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit about Young Justice. Uh, we've known for a while that this show is coming out. Well, now we've got a new title for it. And a release date. So the, the show is going to be called Young Justice Outsiders. Uh, it's not going to be on Netflix, which is what we initially had heard and I would say was all but confirmed. Um, it's going to launch on the new Warner Brothers digital network, which is something that I hadn't heard about until uh, reading this article. It's a streaming service built just for WB, and it's going to be coming out in 2018. And isn't it going to, like, just be focused on DC stuff for a while? I thought I remembered reading that somewhere. I mean, right now, if they do that, that'll be where they get their money. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, maybe it is just a full platform. I might have just misheard that. Okay. Please continue. <laughs> so, the third season will feature a coming-of-age story arc with a much darker mission, one that has them trying to stop a metahuman trafficking ring. The description states, in Young Justice Outsiders, 
the teenage superheroes of the DC Universe come of age in an animated world of superpowers, supervillains, and super secrets. In the highly anticipated new season, the team faces its greatest challenge yet as it takes on metahuman trafficking and the terrifying threat it creates for a society caught in the crossfire of a genetic arms race spanning the globe and the galaxy. That's really cool. Yeah, the uh, for the most part, the the storylines in in the Young Justice series have been like fairly heavy. Um, so it's yeah, it's really exciting to see them take it you know one step further. Yeah, kind of double down as, on it as these characters kind of grow up. Yeah, that description will get me to watch the show. Well, I'm not going to pay for the streaming service. That's crazy. But that's yeah, that's that's the for me the only downside of this news piece is the the streaming service. I, you know, I just, yeah, I just like, you know, I, I'm a work, I'm a working stiff. I gotta, you know, I gotta pay for Netflix. I gotta pay for Spotify. I gotta pay for CISO. I gotta pay for how premium. Now I gotta pay for DC extra. So you're like, going to buy it? Well, yeah. I want to see the cool young Justice show. <laughs> <laughs> but like that, I mean, but it's a bummer. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like. I, I guess, I guess that's the only like. Young Justice was originally canceled because they didn't believe that people were watching it, because nobody was buying their toys, and you know the their demographics were off on Cartoon Network because they showed it you know on Saturday morning at nine o'clock. So so you know for me it's like well you know this way they'll actually be able to see that people are watching it. Yeah, and, like they'll have know, numbers. Maybe, maybe we'll get more. When we look at television now, uh, every major corporation is trying to do the Netflix and Amazon thing, where they're trying to do streaming services. Uh, I mean, it's 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 quantifiable fact that cable numbers are just going down every year for across the board, uh, and a lot of these these networks are trying to figure out ways to monetize uh, their shit. So, like, CBS has been talking about doing their own Star Trek show on their streaming service that they're going to do, and that's that's happening across the board. Like, every one of these networks are basically going to be looking to move into streaming. I, I, I definitely think that, that, that you're right about that, and I understand why they're going down that road, but there is in my mind, a, a point at which there are too many streaming services. And Absolutely. See, you know what? I I, uh, I disagree because I, I think a lot of people echo that sentiment, but I think, like, if you think about realistically, right, like, what our parents were paying for television and, like, cable, like, you can still be subscribed to, like, 10 of these services and be paying less than they were. Yeah, but you think know? about what you're paying for internet a month too, though. I mean, another fifty dollars. So, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, th- there is also like new services like Sling, which is aggregates all the te- like television, um, and and it streams it. So you're you're paying for for the for TV, and um, I, I'm pretty sure like what's gonna eventually happen is you're gonna have more services like this. That's just gonna make it internet-based television so yep. it's going to bring all these uh like, like you know another hulu you know something like that but it'll be for aside from just live tv it'll be um essentially that just it's going to yep. aggregate all this all these streaming channels into into one easy thing that you only have to subscribe to one thing it's going to be pri- it's going to be pricey it's probably not going to be as much as a television 
service, but it's definitely going to be comparable and the service is going to be comparable. See, that I actually, I don't even think that's going to happen because I think the way that things are moving, especially like when we see uh, Warner Brothers like trying to make a move like this where it's like uh, a producer of content wanting to have a service that just sells their content. That then you're moving more towards a subscription model that's akin to like premium channels on on television, like like you, HBO, you, HBO yeah. stuff. And no, it's no, like no. yeah, it's there not might TV. Be, it's HBO, right? And it's like <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like there might be HBO, Stars, and Showtime, and Encore, and all these other channels, but you only subscribe to the ones that you want. And I think that's that's what we're gonna move towards with this kind of stuff, and it'll just be. Like, to your point, it'll be internet-based television, but instead of it all going through one service, you'll kind of a la carte pick, well, I like Netflix's shows, so I'm going to subscribe to Netflix. And Hulu has, you know, all of the network TV shows that I want to watch, so I'll subscribe to Hulu. Good animes. Yeah, they have anime, they have a lot of cartoons and stuff like that. But again, it's like, I feel like it's very clear, like, not everyone has Hulu, uh, not everyone has Netflix, not everyone has both, you know? So, like, I think it's just going to be more and more of that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think cord cutting has become a thing. I think millennials want to spend less uh, on these services. I think uh, in general, we're looking towards people wanting to get more for their dollar in general. And Netflix offers that. I would say Hulu, Amazon, they offer that. These services that are dedicated strictly to one channel like CBS, uh, I'm not saying no one will pay for it, certainly. Um, I just have a hard time believing that that is as worth your money as a Netflix, and I think yeah. people know that. Yeah. That's probably true. I, and I think that's a, that's an important point, and I think like a really salient one. I think they they need to adjust their model accordingly. You know, like if I if I don't really want to watch enough NBC, but I like like one show on NBC, I'm not going to do that subscription model. So like, what does that mean? You know, like. Because I, I think you're right. I don't think a lot of people are going to do that. But I think like someone like Warner Brothers, where Warner Brothers like owns, you know, like the entire DC catalog, and they have ownership of all these other major things. Like Disney could do this. Warner Brothers yeah. can do this. You know, and and that would be worth your money. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. So like, I think it. You know, like there could be a DC only service that they could probably populate with enough stuff for it to be worth your money. Or a Marvel service or something like that. And I don't think they should maybe break it down that much. But I think unless you're at that level where you have like a really big stable of IP that you can iterate on and create value for people, yeah, then it's not worth it. And it's not – why the fuck would you do that when you can get – like HBO. Like HBO is as expensive as Netflix, but the quality of programming that they have makes it worth the money. Exactly. You know? Like I I pay that $8 for HBO because HBO is the shit. Like almost every show they put out is like excellent, and it, if you can hit that level of quality, then yeah, you know, like I think people will bite. Yeah, and I think I think I hope at least that these uh, different streaming services that come out do learn their lessons from uh, what we've seen with Netflix and and these other channels, because in order to stay competitive, you have to offer more than just CBS. Whatever the hell they put on that fucking channel. Anyway. Uh, Gar- garbage that hates on millennials, I'll tell you that. Right. So I mentioned the live-action Titans show. I do want to talk about that a little bit uh, because that's a pretty that's a pretty big announcement, I would say. Uh, the focus of the it's show is going to be – It's been in development be... for a long time. 
They've been talking about this forever. Yeah, I feel like I, I definitely heard about this at some point, but the the fact that it's it's actually happening uh, is, is really cool. So the series will focus on Dick Grayson as he assembles a team of young heroes to fight together. Along with the news that Grayson is headlining the show, WB released this synopsis. It follows a group of young, soon-to-be superheroes recruited from every corner of the DC Universe. In the action-adventure series, Dick Grayson emerges from the shadows to become the leader of a fearless band of new heroes that includes Starfire, Raven, and others. So, the series is going to be brought to us by all the major, you know, producers over at DC. You've got Jeff Johns, Greg Berlanti, Akiva Goldsman. Uh, so, they... they been the guys who've spearheaded the DC Universe on the CW. Uh, but the show's not airing on the CW. It's also going to be airing on the streaming service. So Good. That's, you don't get more money. That's two shows. That's two shows that, that they're going to have on there that, that are going to be brand new. So, again, you know, we just talked about the streaming service. That adds to the value. I'm still not going to buy it. But, hey. I, I mean I wanna I wanna see a Dick Grayson show. I'm 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 on board. So I wanna make like, a, it sucks. I actually wanna make a point it. about this too, and this is why I just said good, right? Is I think this is the kind of thing they need to see though, because maybe this service comes out and you don't want it right away, but if they put out two or three or four more DC shows on there, then it becomes worth your money. You know, like that's the beauty of Netflix, right? Is like if you come into Netflix now, you've already got seasons and seasons of of shows of original programming that's been out there and is available to you at whatever time so it's not like yeah you might not get to watch this when it's brand new but you know maybe you get it a couple months down the line or you know you do your like free trial of it and just binge watch these two shows when they come out (laughs) that's what i'm gonna do like if they put them out at the same time as like a launch yeah just be like wait till they're both over and then just barrel through them I, I do wonder, does does this change how they approach the future of the DC uh, universe on CW? I mean, I think they don't really... I don't feel like they ever intended for that to be a universe. And like then they, they've kind of cobbled it together. Because, you know, it was like, they're separate. They're separate. Never mind. They're going to cross over. And, like, Supergirl is not in this universe. She's not in this universe. Now she is. And then they're doing this new Black Lightning show, and it's also apparently not in this universe. But, like, if it gets popular, you know it's going to cross over. Or if they feel like a crossover might help it, they'll probably do that. So, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think them being on different networks means they definitely can interact. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Kel. Sorry, go ahead, Sean. Uh, okay. I, <laughs> I, I, think, I think, if anything, this will be one of the times that uh, a crossover... Like they would be extremely foolish not to do a crossover, uh, because they own the streaming platform. You know, it's a DC property. Blah blah blah. Uh, only uh, putting putting Dick Grayson and and the Titans stuff in a crossover, like a universe wide thing, would only help promote their streaming service. They own the network uh, that, too, so it's like, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. It's, so, it's synergizing, you know. Yeah. What would be really interesting would be if they bring some of those shows over to the streaming service. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I can't imagine that stuff won't be there. You know? Yeah. Old old episodes, old seasons. And, like, maybe even airing concurrently. Like, that could... Because, like, that's how HBO does it. Like, if you have HBO Go, 
you know, like you can watch the thing as soon as it goes up on HBO. Like as soon as it's airing on television, you can watch it on demand at any time. See, the difference there though is that HBO doesn't care about ratings. They're not they're not competing for ratings in that way. Sure, but like to Kale's point, like since they own both of them, like if people are watching, people are watching. You know, like I don't know if it I don't know if it's the same because they need ad revenue. That's true. But I mean like maybe the service has ads. Hulu has ads. Maybe they give maybe they offer a premium version where you don't have ads. Like there's so many un there's so many like uh question marks about this service, it's a little hard to like really speculate about it. Yeah, I mean and we'll we'll follow it and uh when we get some more news, we will definitely talk about it again because it is an interesting development and I wonder what Marvel's reaction to this will be, if anything. Or DC or Disney's rather. Yeah. So we're we're Done with the news, and as we said earlier, we are doing a character spotlight about Tom King, who all of us here on the Comics Pals are a huge, huge fan of, so we're going to dive right into that. Um, he's His career has really taken off over the last, I would say, the last few years. Um, it's like three years, right? When was, I, 2014 was kind of when he burst on the scene? Well, the Omega Men started in 2015. Uh, 2014 was um, Nightwing, which is what kind of brought him into more prominence, I think. Yeah. So, so yeah, 2014. So about three years. Um, he. So we're gonna do a, a quick overview of uh, his career and some of the stuff that he's done. Um, so he actually was an intern at DC and Marvel. He started there. Uh, he was an assistant to Chris Claremont, and. Um, he said in interviews in the past that he didn't really think that the comics career was going to take off. He tried to uh, put some things out and uh, none of it really kind of stuck. Um, and so he decided to try the CIA uh, after 9-11. <laughs> I just love that, man. It's like, you know, my career in comics didn't work out. So I think I'm going to become a counterterrorist. Yeah. Fuck, man. Is that what it takes? <laughs> <laughs> Kale, we might have to try that out. You need inspiration. Um, I might have to. Yeah. At this rate. <laughs> <laughs> so he he spent seven years as a as a, a counterterrorism officer for the CIA, and then you know he spent some time in Iraq and 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 you know in the time the the time after September 11th, which of course was a you know that was a a, a huge time over there and. Uh, I'm sure he saw some some atrocities and things like that. Um, and especially working he, for the CIA. Sorry, I said especially working for the CIA. Yeah, absolutely. Just read Sheriff of Fucking Babylon. Yeah, right. Right. Like we'll talk about that when we get to Sheriff of Babylon. Um, and then he decided to quit the CIA uh, after his first child was born, and he wrote his debut novel, A Once Crowded Sky, which I believe Marco got the opportunity to read. Right. Yeah, talk to us a little about a little bit about the novel. Yeah, so um, I've only been able to get about uh, maybe a third of the way through. Uh, just I haven't gotten to read all of it, but uh, it's a really, really uh, interesting story. It um, <clears throat> this isn't spoiling anything because this literally happens in the first page. Um, but there's this entity called the Blue that is attacking um, the city that all these superheroes live in. So this one hero um, called Ultimate, um, or his full name is Ultimate, the man with the metal face. Um, 
he basically he brings all the heroes to this uh like this cliff where the blue resides and he asks them to all uh to give up their powers so that he can absorb all of that and defeat and just get rid of the blue so he does that he absorbs everybody's powers all the heroes that are there are left powerless and he goes and he sacrifices he he get, he sacrifices himself in the ultimate sacrifice and um the blue is defeated and so the book picks up with his sidekick uh penultimate um <laughs> and basically his life it's it's mostly taken through his life and uh how he's recovering how all the other heroes are recovering from the loss of their powers um but more importantly the loss of their identities it's um it's interesting because they were all superheroes and now they since they have no powers they've essentially lost their their identities so they they no longer they no longer want to revert back to their actual like civilian life civilian life because it was such a big part for them and so it's just um it, them coping with the loss of ultimate who was the superior or the, the superior uh superhero like he's the he's the guy that everybody looked up to he was the leader of all these um whenever there was trouble you know he would form groups and he would be the leader of them and so um everybody just sort of distraught and uh and also distraught about the fact that they've all lost their powers and it deals with them having to cope with that them having to essentially it, it draws parallels to um people with ptsd that's what their characters say, yeah. their their characters who want to return to the action but they physically can't and they end up um harming themselves because they're trying to save somebody who's you know who's getting robbed and somebody has a gun but they can no longer like stop it or they're no longer fast enough to do something um they have characters who now that they no longer have the powers and they have to return to that civilian life, they don't know what to do with themselves. They're they're just lost. They're wandering around. They're like, oh, remember when things were so much easier, so much simpler, and things aren't like that anymore, and I don't know what to do with myself. Um, and overall, uh, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the book. It's, I think, a really great, just like, like an allegory to what... Uh, I imagine Tom King experienced coming back from the war, what some of his buddies probably experienced coming back from the war, just those trials of transitioning to a normal life after that. You know, you can't, there's this one uh, part in the book where one of the superheroes, he says, you know, I can't talk to anybody else about this. He's talking to another superhero. like, I can't talk to anybody else about this. I can't express my feelings to about it to anybody else. You know, when I come, when I walk up into a bar, you know, I get, I can get a round of applause or I can get, you know, a thank you, but like, you don't, you don't know. Like it's not, it's not a thing of, I just retired and I'm, I'm okay now. It's I'm internally suffering because I'm, I'm just lost as, as a person. Um, so that's only like the first third of the book. Uh, (laughs) right. (laughs) And I'm super excited to read the rest. I'm definitely going to finish it. I did just want to call out that, um, I got to this one point where um, the book is broken up by chapters and broken up by parts. 
and within each chapter there's a like an issue title so it'll be ultimate the man with the metal face number whatever 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 or profiteer number this or um it or penultimate number this like it'll have issue issue titles breaking up certain sections so it's interesting because those those issues contain a, like a, a separate story from like the rest so it kind of acts as chapters but then you have chapters that actually contain all those issues so it, it resembles like an arc but then but then those issues are contained within a part which sort of acts as like a like a, like a graphic novel like a collected edition so there's there's four parts each part has about um maybe four three to five issues and then within or three three five arcs and then within each arc is maybe one or like two or three issues so it's really really uh, laid out really really kind of weird but the story itself addresses that layout in later later chapters it gets super like meta and stuff it, it's really good guys I really recommend <laughs> you pick it up cool yeah so uh, I actually wanted to check it out myself unfortunately I didn't get the opportunity but I will um, check that out at some point in the future yeah so he went from Tom King did writing this book and and it did have a superhero influence with you know um, comic pages in it um, and I guess that that drew some attention from DC because he was chosen to write Grayson along with Tim Seeley and um, that was kind of his I want to say breakout uh, that he, yeah. he got noticed a lot more with that Absolutely. title Phil you, you read that yeah, well, when you you notice the quality, unfortunately, of that book is much better when Tom King is on it, and that's when I first heard his name uh, is when he was on that title, uh, and then when he left the book, the the the, the 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 quality went back down, unfortunately, and it's not that that book was bad, but uh, you know people were very. Uh, dismissive of Grayson at first people were upset that he wasn't Nightwing anymore but like that became one of the best books that DC was publishing at the time when Tom King took over it was a it was a very unique take on both the spy genre and the superhero genre um that had really solid uh mixes on tropes from both not to mention it's being written by an actual fucking spy exactly like (laughs) yeah and you can, I mean, like, uh, obviously not that I would know, but, like, you can tell there's, like, an, there is an element of realness to, you know, the stuff that happens. It just feels authentic. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's real. That's a, I gotta check that out. That's a great way of actually summarizing Tom King's writing, I think, is authentic. Authentic. Yeah. Well, you know what, man? It's because, like, he really does a great job of just using superheroes as allegories for things that he's, like, experienced in his life. You know? Like... They feel grounded, even though they're not. You know, it, they feel like um, and like I don't want to get like, well, you know what? Actually, I guess this is a good comparison. Like I was gonna say, I don't want to put him up on a pedestal, but like they almost remind remind me of like, like a biblical kind of story. And like there are definitely allegories that he makes a lot of allusions to religion in his writing. But just like the idea of like they're they're grounded because they're they feel so real they're so based in very real human feelings but they're done they're told through these crazy you know 
larger than life stories. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think one of the things that, for me at least, is missing in a lot of comics is is it is that sort of groundedness that he's been able to bring to every book that I've read that he's done. Um, you know, we might as well just dive in because we were talking sort of about his, the themes a little bit of, of what he does. Um, and, you know, he, he worked on Omega Men uh, and Sheriff of Babylon and Vision, which is kind of like the holy trinity, if you will, to continue the religious um, allegory there. Um, each of those books and Batman to a degree as well have similar themes that that run throughout them. And one of them for me that that really has uh, resonated with me is the 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 sort of post traumatic stress that a lot of the characters that he writes embody. Um, and you you see it you see it in Sheriff of Babylon. I mean, the main character Chris is is you know he is sort of this broken person in a lot of ways who doesn't know how to feel or think about a lot of the things that he's seeing and a lot of the things that are going on, uh, you know, in, in, in that world that he's living in. And um, even from his life before that, frankly, because like it was, you know, the, it was kind of set up that he came there for like redemption. Right. You know? And yeah. he, I don't, I don't really feel like by the end of that, that story that he's probably gotten that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. Um, and, and, and trauma, right? So like all of these characters are traumatized. The characters in Sheriff of Babylon all have this terrible grief that they're going through. Right. Um, and, and I actually would like to, uh, talk a little bit about those characters so that we can have a, a better sort of conversation about who they are and, and, and what their trauma is. And I want to pull from an interview that Tom King actually did where he sort of breaks them down. So, uh, just really fast. Um, we start with Chris. He's an American contractor. He's the audience's way in. He's a guy who is not used to this environment. He's a cop who trains police forces. After 9-11, many of us, like myself, had a reason to feel guilty about that, that he didn't do enough. He wants to do something in the world. He wants to fix it because of that. And for, for some reason, he ends up in Iraq doing that. Like my whole generation, I feel, sort of went through that transition. So he gives that perspective. So he's very much a guy who... Although he did have experiences prior to going over uh, to Iraq and joining the CIA or, you know, helping them out and becoming a contractor, um, he wasn't necessarily prepared for what he would experience when he got there. So he brought some trauma of his own with him, but then he experiences it on an even deeper level. Um, There's a particular character, the, the story is based... His story arc is based around a particular murder that takes place and him trying to solve said murder. And the murder of that person whose name I can't remember at the moment, uh, does anyone recall? Ali Al-Fahard? There you go. Yeah, Ali Al-Fahard. Yeah, yeah. The murder of, of Ali sort of sets in motion these events that lead to him not only questioning himself, but doubting him, doubting the government, doubting the mission that that uh, the United States government underwent in Iraq. And I think that that's definitely pulling from some real feelings that Tom King probably had while he was out there. Um, I think um, yeah. oh, you're, we're going to talk ahead. about the other two main characters as well. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. Okay, well then, I'll, I'll put a pin in the idea I have and bring it up when you sure. get to the other ones. Sure. So, uh, Sophia, uh, she she's a female woman who is the head of an old Sunni <laughs> Iraq family. That's, I'm sorry. This is the a quote fe- I'm reading. You said a female woman? I, I'm reading the quote. That's what he said. That's what Tom King said? That's what Tom King said. <laughs> female woman. Brilliant writer. Not a great interviewee, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, she was raised in America. Her family was killed by the Saddam regime. She is returning after a long time to be the head of that family. But she's very powerful because she's the head of a family. She's almost like a crime lord in a way, but a female in a very male-dominated society. She was actually my favorite character in Sheriff of Babylon. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. definitely. She I felt was the same way. so, yeah. so badass. Yeah. Like, there was, I, I finished it before any of you guys, I think, and I remember, like, I was ahead and being, like, I wanted to, like, all caps to our chat, be like, Jesus Christ, she's such a badass, but I was like, I don't want to, like, give anything away, because she's just so calculating, you know, she's so, like, intelligent, she's always running an angle, she's got every situation, like, in the palm of her fucking hand. It was just he- so cool. Well, that's like what's really good about him is when he's introducing new characters, this, he does such a good job of establishing their entire deal almost immediately, and that's true of her. Like as soon as she's introduced, you kind of get the picture, and he just builds on that foundation. I think Tom King is really good at doing issue number ones, for that matter. Like I think he's really good at establishing the themes and like what where we're going very quickly. It's interesting that it's interesting that you feel that way. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but I. I didn't feel that way about Omega Men. Um, That's true, actually, yeah. Omega Men. But so, but so the other three with, that we're talking about. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with that. So with Sophia, though, her trauma is that you know he he mentions it in the um, in the interview. Her family was killed by Saddam Hussein's regime, and so she's not over that. She's still dealing with the loss of her family but she's found a way to take that grief and and this horrible thing and turn it into a positive and and she uses the power that she has to sort of eliminate her enemies and that's something that is brought up again and again um and so in that way she is a strong person but we see her struggling a lot um in her strength with some of the things that have happened to her and what she has to do in order to maintain the power that she does have. Yeah. Man, I don't know though. I just, I found her to be so admirable too, because it's like, just like, she feels like a character that's like very much like by her own, you know, she's self-made, you know? And like, and like to the point like that she's a woman living in this man's world and like that, like America's kind of like that too anyway. So it's like she's caught between these two worlds where she's being oppressed in both of them and she just rises above everyone and, and like, you know, takes them out or or eats their lunch, you know? Yeah. Well, there for me, there were direct parallels between the way that uh, I believe the character's name is Frank, the the operative that comes in and, and tries to, quote unquote, solve the murder of Ali. Um there are direct parallels for me between the way that he kind of talks to her in a in a slightly demeaning but very well put together way, and then the character of Abu, I can't remember the rest of his name, the the person who they pin the murder of Ali on, and the person who they 
claim as the one who tried to assassinate Sophia during the book, at the end of the series, the way he's speaking to her is a very aggressively oppressive way. He's calling her a whore and saying you're all whores. And, you know, I saw direct parallels between those two conversations. But what was consistent was the way that she stayed composed, the way that she rose above what they were saying to her, and kind of didn't care. Like, she had been through everything. They couldn't throw anything at her that was going to break her down anymore. And I really love that about her character. Yeah, she was always in control of every room that she was in, you know? And in a way that felt, like, totally believable. Because it's very easy to make a character, like, powerful, like, and make that feel artificial. But again, to the point we said, like, it feels authentic. She feels authentically, like, intimidating, you know? Like you, like you think that you have her and then you're already dead. Exactly. Uh, so I, I do want to talk about Nasir. And th- again, this is a quote from Tom King. Uh, and the third perspective is, this is going to get into politics. Nasir is a Shiite. You know, there is a Sunni Shiite split in Iraq. So this is a Shiite who worked for the Saddam regime, which was a Sunni regime. Think of it like a Jew who worked for the Nazis almost. So he compromised himself entirely to be a cop under the Saddam regime. Once Saddam fell, he's finally sort of free of that, but he's getting drawn back into it. So there are three different perspectives, an American, a Sunni, and a Shiite. And I think Nasir definitely does round out this group of characters. Uh, I In a I really meaningful way, I think. Yeah. I was very uh, invested and drawn into his character. And again, we're talking about trauma. He brings trauma into this book as well because his daughter's or I believe they were all daughters. They yeah. Were, yeah, they were all killed prior to the, the the events of the story itself. So him and his wife have this grief and that and this trauma that seems to have strengthened their their bond in a way, but also kind of is this very terrible. It's like a dark cloud over their lives. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so he's a very very compelling character. I thought, and he's totally was, defined by grief. You know, like I feel like Sophia rose above her grief and he's just like in it, like he's living it every day. Yeah. And especially uh, and again, this is a you know, we're going to have a full spoiler conversation, especially when his wife uh, is murdered. uh, He totally shuts down like there's just nothing left. He becomes a broken man at that point. You know, if, if he was if he was chipped prior, he shattered after her death. Yeah, right. That was like she was all that was holding him up, you know. And 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 that's definitely shown like later on. It is one of those things where, um, like Kayla always said, it's always better to, to to show rather than tell. And you can definitely see like afterwards when he's getting interrogated, he you, you just you just see it. He gives you know. up. Yeah. Yep. Like he like they like literally take him out to a, a like they're ready to kill him. They're like we're gonna fucking shoot you. That's your grave. And he doesn't say a word. It's like do it. You know, it's like he's ready to die. Yeah. He's like, give me, I want a cigarette before you kill me. Yeah. (laughs) He was resigned. He didn't care. I love that. I love that. You got anything left to say? It's like, yeah, I'd like a cigarette before you. (laughs) So (laughs) So good. This all makes me think, actually. So I've, I've not been super invested in a lot of portrayals of like the Iraq war in media the last 10 years so I think of movies like Zero Dark Thirty or American Sniper or whatever and like the thing about this book is that it actually portrays people from Iraq as people 
Well, that's yeah. the thing. It's it's not like a it's not an American story. Like the yeah, right. You know, like it, it actually it really reminded me in a lot of ways like The Great Gatsby, where it's like uh, what's the main guy's name again? Uh, Jay Gatsby. No, not in Gatsby in Sheriff of Babylon. <laughs> Chris. Uh... <laughs> Chris. That's all I need. Yeah. yeah. Chris, like, I liked Chris fine, but, like, I felt like Chris was very much like, uh, I think the guy's name is Nick in Gatsby, where it's like, oh, he's, our, he's our POE character, but, like, okay. he was not the character that the story was really about. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Definitely agree. Like, his arc is there, and it's and it's fulfilled, and it's, like, I mean, it's kind of fulfilled anyway, like, in a way that feels very true to Tom King's experience, and I think that's cool. That it's that like it's it's not about the American presence. It's about what's happening to the people that actually live in this fucking country. I I want to read a quote from his because I do believe that it is uh, relevant to what we are talking about now. Uh, and he said he, he Tom King had to say this is in an interview. I think people forget what a wide variety of experiences Americans had in Iraq. Soldiers, contractors, and everyone who was over there. I can't compare my daily life to an average soldier's because there's no average soldier life. I hung out with special forces guys. I hung out with big army guys. I hung out with military contractors that spent their whole life in the army and then came over after that. I didn't have the life of the guard who was standing out there doing an 18-hour duty in full armor sweating in 130-degree heat. I didn't have the life of the guys who were doing the frontline raids, the real trigger pullers. But I also didn't have the life of the guys who just sat behind the barriers all day and just watched other people do their jobs. I was out there. I was trying to get stuff done close to the front lines. And so I think one of the things that's really important about this book is that it presents every perspective that you could possibly have in that environment. And you can tell that because he was out there and he was, I mean, he doesn't go into detail in the interviews that I have read, but you can tell that he was experiencing what Iraqis were dealing with. He was experiencing what the boot to ground soldier was experiencing. He was, he was having conversations with these people. He was, he, he was taking in their experiences and making them his own. And you very much feel like that's what Chris does. In this yeah, book, absolutely. I, I read in a uh, interview that he had said that he had wanted to be a storyteller since he was seven years old. And so you have to think that a guy who thinks that way, who's in this extremely stressful environment, is going to try to take in as many perspectives as possible for his own like work. And also, I think just for like to be like to keep yourself human. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like you have to, you have to treat the people there that other people want to treat as the enemy, as people, and that was the thing. So I said I wanted to put a pin in this before taking it out. So, whoa, here we go. So, uh, so no, put it back, put it back. Oh no! <laughs> Sophia was definitely my favorite character, but I loved the relationship between Chris and Nasir because I thought it was such a great allegory for how Tom King viewed the people of Iraq. You know that this oh. is a man who worked for Saddam Hussein. You know, he killed Americans in the beginning of the story and they become friends because he gets to know him and he learns his pain and sees that he's just a man in grief, you know, and that like he's not a bad person. He's just a person who's been put in a lot of situations where he just did the best he could, you know, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's definitely a big theme of Tom King's is just like situations don't make uh, situations kind of make people bad, but like 
down deep down people are just people yeah dude you know like like these these people go through all these different just traumas and you come out you come out different yeah you know but but no one is inherently good or bad and that's definitely something that i think he drives home in in any of his stories i think he drives home that people can easily be twisted by their circumstances and that i think is actually a great transition point into the omega men if we want to do that well, not just that. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that, like, Sean in the very beginning mentioned, like, the PTSD thing. And just tying it together now with this idea of uh, of no one is inherently good or bad because people are put in bad, shitty situations with bad, shitty, shady people. Uh, like, a constant theme in a lot of his books is there are characters who are struggling with isolation and self-realization. And that's in all of the books. Because, like, I had the same idea of blowing it up. Uh there's at least one character in each book that's dealing with that kind of that kind of character arc. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, and and I, we so we want to talk about Omega Men. We we did an, an episode with the Long Box about Omega Men, which you can still find, and we would very much appreciate you guys. We'll link we'll link to it in out. the description below. Absolutely. Uh, I don't want short box special. The short box special. There you go. I don't want to talk about Omega Men too much because we did already do that and, and there's a lot to get to we could do an episode about each one of these books um but just overall like thoughts and how does omega men tie into the wider sort of tom king universe so i mean i think we all love mega omega men i don't think we need to go too far into that again if you really want to hear our in-depth thoughts please go check out the short box special we did an entire review of the series so go there why I wanted to bring it up is because, like, taking it from our conversation about Sheriff of Babylon and how he handles characters, I thought that the conclusion of Omega Men and where every single one of the characters ends up was really interesting. Because for the throughout the entirety of this war that we see, these people are a group, you know, they're a team, and they're fighting for a, a unified cause. And in the end, all these people and, like, their motivations, like, their true motivations either come out or were twisted. You know, and they were irreverably damaged by war. And I thought that that was another great perspective of, you know, of what this kind of stuff can do to people. Specifically, uh, I, and I, it's, I feel terrible because I don't remember all the characters' names, but who was the, um, like, the hippie guy in Omega Men, the peace guy? So, yeah, so I thought, I thought the most interesting example of that was Primus, you know, who was, like, in his initial, you know, in our initial encounters with him, he's, a, he's like, uh, you know, a guy who's he's a pacifist almost. he's a pacifist he's all about peace you know like he's like a freedom fighter he's trying to stop you know violence and war and then at the end he's become literally every single thing he fought against absolutely yeah then and i i really was invested in his arc uh for that reason and then also kalista who was my favorite character in that book uh we talked a lot about um the 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 question of was she sort of of like a bad person based yeah. around her actions like was she kind of playing everyone right and i think that when you tie when you tie this book into the rest of his stories and you kind of look at it as a piece of a wider sort of loose narrative you can you can say no she wasn't bad she there are no villains necessarily she was a victim of circumstance and she was just like Sophia, trying to rise above that and make the most out of a situation that was bad. I see. It's funny though because I don't actually. I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think you're inherently right, but I also think that 
she's definitely portrayed in a way where I think she seems far more villainous than a lot of the other, like a character like Sophia. You know, Sophia does bad things, but I don't think of her as a bad person. And like, I do think in some ways the way that she manipulated Primus, um, you know, through love and, and lust and Kyle for sure. But, like, specifically Primus, because Kyle isn't twisted in the same way by the end of it as Primus is. You know, Primus is literally, like, gives a, gives up all of his core values and becomes a totally different person because of her manipulation. And she turns him into a war machine, you know, for her own purposes. And, like, I think that is, like, a little bit... I don't know if we're necessarily supposed to sympathize with her in the same way that we do a lot of other characters. And it's, just, it's not just her. The viceroy of that story is a complete piece of shit. Oh, yeah. He He's engineers- a coward. He engineers an entire system war. He he has like enslaved populations. Everything with Tigor or whatever his name is, like Tigor, like no, he's a complete uh, theocratic zealot. That's ruined. there's a reason why the Mega Man exists. They were born in the wake of oppression. Yeah, I I wish I wish we were talking about this closer to my having read it, but I recall feeling I, I recall strongly feeling that. He had reasoning that could be viewed as justifiable for some of the things that he did. Wasn't the episode the short bucks? We disagreed yeah. over this a little bit. Yeah. So definitely do go check that out. I I want to talk about Vision because I feel like Vision is a, an extremely important piece to this puzzle. Now, if if Chris is Tom King, right? If if if, if Chris is kind of mirroring Tom King's experiences on some level, right? Then Vision is Tom King after the events of his time in Iraq. Because Vision is, okay, well, I just went through hell. Now I'm going to start a family. Uh, The Vision character at that point where that series begins uh, just wiped his ability to feel emotions from himself so he's actually changed quite a bit at that point um and it it was a very different time for the character and so he decides to create a family he literally forges a wife and two children and they move to washington dc coincidence or not that's actually where tom king lives with his children and his wife uh and they very much try to live a normal life that is a core tenant of the Vision series is what is normal? Who can be normal? Is normal reserved for a certain kind of person? Or can we all experience normalcy? Does it even exist? Now, before you guys jump in, I do want to say that I've reading it as a minority, I very much resonated with some of the stuff that the Visions experience and the general theme that Tom King was trying to express. They move into the town in Washington and people are talking about them. Well, they're not normal. What what's up with them? That well, that in the first issue, that that the the husband and wife who come up to the door and they're talking about them literally at their door, talking about not understanding what they are. And for me, you know, that's something that I resonate with a lot. When I'm in a when I'm in a place where I'm the only person who looks like me. I feel not normal sometimes. I feel like an yeah. outsider. And that's what the visions were trying to counteract by being as normal as they possibly could be. They're like very much trying to like 
assimilate into like the natural order of this neighborhood and like they don't you know they just wanted to just kind of like like just block right in and nobody will notice you know and yep so yeah that ties together what i was thinking of earlier but like this idea of like self-realization and and and, uh individualism and stuff is really pronounced in vision uh you think of vision's wife and his daughter and like the experiences they go through as characters uh it's very much like uh, the banal the banality of suburban life and like what it's like to be unique because oftentimes uh, that's characterized as if you are an outsider like you stand out like a sore thumb and how difficult it is to like realize who you are as a person absolutely and I think I think you you kind of get that that there that that they're never going to have the average existence. You get that from the very first issue when Grim Reaper stabs Viv. You know, like that is not something that an average you're not going to have Grim Reaper come to your house and try to kill your daughter. That's not going to happen to you. Uh, and the 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 wife's reaction is very much sort of to me normal quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because Vision, A, doesn't have emotion, which I think is extremely important uh, in throughout this series, uh, and B, is an Avenger, which is not normal, it's not normal to be an Avenger, has a different perspective on the events that took place, and she knows that. So instead of just being honest about what happened, because she is not normal, even though she had a very visceral normal reaction like any mother would, she hides this murder, and that is the is the moment that throws everything into you know awry for for this family. So when I read that, I thought of it a lot like the Adam and Eve story because you know it's like Vision, who's also like a god figure, has a piece of him taken apart to create his wife and then a family and that's like the original sin hmm that's interesting, that's interesting. yeah I, that was I, my I take from it that, but that's that's really cool i mean i i wouldn't be surprised if that was intentional considering like we said there are a lot of biblical themes and like every single one of these books has a bible quote yeah. so yeah so wait actually the, sean i wanted to respond to yeah. uh because you spurned a thought in me because obviously i'm i'm a white guy so i didn't have that same interpretation of the book at the first time but now that you say that i can absolutely see that and i think that actually makes it kind of interesting too to think about like why um his wife's name is what vivian virginia virginia vivian's his daughter um virginia i feel like was also motivated to hide the murder because she knows that like that people are looking at them differently because right, they right, look at them exactly, as a threat yeah. Mm-hmm. you know and like they're the not microscope as she's they're under the microscope right yeah and i think that like does kind of speak to the interpretation that you're talking about of like you know like i mean like you know just to like in, in our country anyway it's like a, if a black person commits the same pr- crime as a white person they're always going to be treated way worse like statistically speaking anyway um so yeah like that i guess does kind of speak to that as well well and Ahead, a lot of when a lot of black families moved to suburban neighborhoods, you know, white flight occurred. You think about when the visions move in, and there's graffiti. They, people graffiti tag their garage, uh, and that really plays to the plight of like any kind of minority. I think, absolutely, yeah, definitely, yeah, one hundred, one hundred percent. I did want to bring up something that I thought was absolutely fascinating 
uh, that it's a theme that's sort of played with throughout the vision, uh, which is the the intention of creation, right? So, like, follow me here. God creates man, right, for the purpose of like being in His image. Maybe Kale, you can speak to it more if I'm if I'm saying the wrong thing. Uh, but then human beings create other human beings. Typically with no purpose other than to have kids. You don't have kids and plot out like their life and what they're going to be. Well, right? a lot of people do. Well, they're, typically. Well, they're your typically. successor. Well, yeah, but like most most people don't even plan to have kids. Most people just have them. And like like most people are, are not planned. Most, most births are not planned is what I'm trying to say. Sure. And, yeah. You're and, saying the act of creation. Right. Yeah. And – you're not born with a with a purpose, an inherent purpose. But machines like the Vision are. Vision was made by Ultron with a very specific purpose. And then his kids and his wife are not. They're made to be just themselves. And his goal is to have a, a, a normal, a, a normal, their goal is to have a normal existence. And I think that I think that that's a very interesting sort of question and dichotomy that's posed. Kale, go ahead. Uh, yeah, and that's something I sort of have been uh, pondering as we've been talking about it, and it's something that I kept sort of coming back to as we uh, went back and uh, as I read it. Just like, you know, how dare Vision, you know? Like, all of this happened because he wanted to uh, create you know a family and have this normal thing but he couldn't go out and find it he erased all his emotions and then built a family and then didn't you know didn't have the resources to help them grow and then all this happened how dare vision yeah and then it's 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 even harder you know uh, when we said virginia was her name Virginia is stuck at home and the vision, you know, is off, you know, fighting monsters and being an Avenger and, and trying to avoid with the her president and, and doing a job. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 even harder, you know, when you look at it from her perspective, because she, uh, you know, she's her whole life is based around him. And what else is she supposed to do? Right. It, it it sort of sounds like it, it at least from what I'm reading like it's um it's it's selfish like that um the vision would even would do this because it's not the family's for him more than anything. All this all this stuff happening because he he wanted it, you know? Not necessarily the the end result, but he he wanted this stuff to uh he wanted to have that family for him, not for any other reason. That was actually I, – I wanted to say in response to Sean's point that like I think that they weren't actually created with no purpose. They were created with the purpose of being Vision's family, of giving Vision validation. Right. And I think it's actually kind of – it rings it, – it's an interesting parallel between his own creation because he was created by Ultron to destroy the Avengers and he became an Avenger. And Ultron created them to be his perfect family and they didn't really fulfill that purpose either. Vision did that. Yeah, Vision did that. I'm sorry. I have to uh, go see the federal government about my uh, fillings to make sure that they know I'm alive. 
But uh, <laughs> that said, uh, the the vision made me cry. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. Uh, the last issue really hits right home, you know. Um, I think the whole series my, does, man. Yeah, in my mind, Tom King is the best active writer in industry. Um, and go read those books. Do you have any fi- like final thoughts on Batman, real quick? Because we're going to transition into that. I think, all right, I've only read the first seven issues of Batman, but it's really good. Uh, one thing I really like is that he uses Psycho Pirate, uh, yeah. which kind of sh- denotes a love of, of comics. Psycho Pirate was big in Crisis on Infinite Earths. He was big in... Comics history, yeah. Animal Man. Uh, and I, when, when I, like, associate Tom King with my favorite writers, like, the fact that he's utilizing these kind of fringe characters that have, like, significance in the history of the industry uh, makes me admire him all the more. Uh I'm a trade waiter, so I'm just waiting for volume two of that. But I, I mean, I have unfortunately, like for better or worse, like extremely high expectations for how his run will play out on Batman, and hopefully it's a lengthy one. And with that said, Excelsior! I'll see you next week. It's good to be home. See you later, Phil. Good to have you back, Bye, buddy. Phil. God, now that that guy's gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So let's talk Batman. I I, w- I want to wrap up the the vision conversation before we uh, move on. I think I think uh, Kale really you made a a great point about the selfishness of Vision in creating this this family with no purpose, and then on top of that, uh, putting Wanda's Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, is sort of personality into Virginia. Uh, Vision himself was created from some personality of Wonder Man. And they that, that's a very important element of the story. And I think it's just as important to note that Vision had a family already with Scarlet Witch. And then... It kind of. Like, it was another fake family. Well, it, it was a fake family, and he was uncomfortable with that at the time. He hated it, in fact, and it's clear from the story that he didn't want this. Uh, and I think that part of this is trying to sort of reconnect with the only time he ever felt normal. Because in in this book, you see him having a you see him having a dinner with Scarlet Witch, with um, Wonder Man, with all their family and friends, and and that and it's very much him in a suit and looking very happy. That's the only time. He felt like a person like and a not human. a machine. Yeah. And I think he's trying to get that back with this story without the emotion that he used to have. And his lack of emotion when he becomes white and sort of says to his children, I'm not your father. To me, this is that vision that we're dealing with now. Who actively chooses to create a family. Boy, uh, I don't, Pete, I don't know if that hit you, but uh, Sean, when he said when he turns white. Oh, sorry, sorry. I... No, no, legitimate, like, it's a legitimate point. Like, there's, like, I, I, I don't know if this was intended. I don't know if there's some maybe weird, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm reading into it a little far, but, like, there's some, like, uh, I don't know, not sterilization, like but, like, there. yeah, like, uh, you know, it's very, he's looking for a very, you know, uh, leave it to beaver, white picket fence existence that's it's very you know it's a it's a white uh, quote-unquote white dream like you know i just like 
I don't know, that hit me all of a sudden and it's just like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't think that, but yeah, I mean, that who knows, right? Maybe you are reading into it, but that doesn't mean it's invalid. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts on Vision before we transition into Batman a little bit? <sighs> like, I, I might, I think Vision is maybe his best work. That's kind of, that's kind of the one takeaway I want to leave with it. It's like, these books are all fantastic. Or at least the ones that I finished, right? Like, I can't speak to the quality of his entire Batman run, but we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, Sheriff of Babylon, Vision, and Omega Men are, all three of them are three of the best comics I've read in a, in a like, in years. They, like, Tom King is a cut above pretty much everybody, I think. And I really do think that Vision stands out as the best among a career that is like off to a hell of a start. Mm-hmm. Marco agreed. Uh, no, yeah, agreed. Um, I definitely agree. Vision definitely stands out to me. Um, and yeah, I mean, Pete, you said it. Do you guys think on any level that's because like maybe that's the like maybe he still feels that way on some level? Feels what way? I can imagine. Sorry, like that. Like he, from my understanding, like a. Because I, I, you know, I've I've never served, uh, but I know people who have, and you know, I've I've read a lot about PTSD, um, and I just I wonder if Tom King still feels like he's at war, or if he still feels like he's not really like home, you know, like if he he's struggling with that on some level, and maybe that's why this is so visceral because it's real for him still. I think it's just the, uh, I, th- I think more than anything, it's a new front. It's not necessarily – he might still feel that way, but I think um, – I definitely think uh, like reading uh, A Once Crowded Sky, it's that's definitely what he's dealing with, like the return to a normalcy yeah. and where that takes him. And Vision is that realization. Like Omega Man and Sheriff Babylon definitely experiences uh, of the war, but his coming back story is definitely in the Vision, I think, is reflected there. Um, yeah. So I, in an interview that I, I read earlier, he talked about how he still feels guilty about not doing more in Iraq. He said on some level he wishes he was still there because it's not over and it wasn't over when he left. And he feels like more is required of him. Uh, and I think that that's, an ex- that's a feeling that a lot of Americans felt after 9-11 uh, that they that they needed to do. That's why so many people went served because it was such a traumatic experience as an American, you know, regardless of where you lived. As an American, it was a traumatic experience. And for him, he took the initiative to say, okay, I'm going to go do my part. Imagine how it must feel as a human, right? With an ego on some level, but also with a true desire to to make a change to know that when you left the place of war it was the same and that's what sheriff yeah, of babylon yeah you left on. no impact sheriff of babylon ends the same way the exact same way it begins except that the murder victim is different but it's the mm-hmm. same story and i think that that is on some level an allegory for how he probably feels like i left iraq and i didn't change anything and so to answer the point of does he still feel like he's there? Dunno. But does he want to be there? On some level, yes. He said as much himself in an interview. Speaking to the point of 
still living with that trauma and feeling like you're you're stuck and frozen in a moment, we're going to talk about Batman. Because Batman is the embodiment of a man who was stuck in the moment. He's stuck in the moment of his parents' death. And I think that... And he's caught in this ha- perpetual war. Right. And he's caught in this perpetual war. That's a great point. Even though we don't reference back to the death of his parents a ton... Uh, it's felt. It, it it it's felt throughout the entire series. What I like about it is that Tom King does it through other characters. You know, instead of instead of like let's go and re-explore Batman losing his parents again, it's more through his relationship with Gotham and Gotham Girl. You know, where it's like we can explore that he is still stuck in that moment, but now he's trying to save someone else from it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I I do want to read a quote from from tom king about this run the question is it seems like trauma is going to be the through line for the rest of the stuff you're reading and he's or you're seeding i'm sorry and he said yeah that's the big motivation that drives the whole first trilogy i am gotham i am suicide and i am bane as batman saw a bit of hope in these superheroes referring to gotham and gotham girl it starts in batman number one when he thinks he's going to die there's a question for him and in gotham girl he sees an answer Hope is crushed when Gotham dies, Gotham being the character. The only little part of that that's left is Gotham Girl, and he sort of has to save her, and he becomes obsessed with saving her. The only way to save her is to get Psycho Pirate, who's under the control of Bane. That sort of dictates the whole arc. Now, what's interesting to me, and I don't know how much this played into Tom King's mentality, but Bane, if you're talking about villains who have caused Batman trauma... Bane is one of the only ones who has, who has broken Batman physically and mentally. Other than the Joker, I would say that Bane has come the closest to causing Batman the same kind of trauma that would stick with a person like the trauma he experienced as a child when he watched his parents die. And for me, that really comes across during I Am Suicide and to a degree during I Am uh, Bane when they're when they're clashing with each other. And for my money, I think Bane is like the number two Batman villain in terms of just like impact on Batman personally, you know, maybe not as a villain or as a character, but like just in terms of like how he's affected his life. Absolutely. Because he's, he's stopped all the other ones and, and a lot of most pretty much none of them have come close to doing to Batman, the kind of damage, the kind of damage that you can tell has stuck with him. Yeah. That Bane did. And what I think is interesting is Bane is the only one who's made it um, personal. Like, and, and I don't mean like personal in like that it affects him personally, but that it is in about Batman. You know, because like the Joker kills Batman's son, you know, like basically. And that is a thing that obviously, that's a trauma that has stuck with Batman forever, you know, or at least, you know during the publication where it made sense. But, like, Bane, like, broke Batman physically. And, like, no one has ever done that. Like, it's we're always led to believe that Batman, like, Batman could beat Superman, right? And it's like, but, well, Bane beat Batman. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and he, he broke him, you know? Like... <laughs> and he didn't just, I wouldn't say he even just broke him physically. I would no, say he mentally, broke him yeah. emotionally. Like, yeah, yeah because Batman is about confidence. Batman, Batman believes he can beat anyone. And Bane put him in his place. Yeah, one thing, uh, this is sort of tangentially related, just based on that point. I was watching this uh, uh, 
documentary on uh, the Lucha Lucha Libre culture in Mexico. Great documentary called uh, Lucha Lucha Mexico, um, and the the main wrestler that this guy uh, that this doc follows is uh, um, he's this older guy who who messes up his knee in a fight, and he says that like you know when you're when you're broken like this it, it hits you physically but it also hits you emotionally and spiritually because you were you were able to do all these amazing things and now you're just stuck you can't and so yeah that's i can only imagine that's hugely magnified you know after the the nightfall arc you know and i i think that's a great allegory too because i think it's like again like so much of bat like batman's identity is being batman you know bruce wayne's yeah. identity yeah. is getting to be batman and like being broken physically is going to break him mentally because he can't be out there. He can't be doing what he's supposed to be doing. And like every bad thing that happens while he's incapacitated, he's going to take personally, you know? Yeah. His one and only goal as a, as a living person, especially at that time is to save Gotham and someone has made it that he cannot do that anymore, you know? And, and that, that's huge. That's very hard hitting. And I think that's a, a really great point, Kale. Um, so I, I do want to talk about, um, the, the, I am suicide arc. Uh, Pete, you read that, right? Yeah, I read the first arc and then I read, um, uh, the Batman issues of the second, not the second full arc, but that like in the middle arc that they did where King collaborated with that other dude. It was like the night of the monsters or whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, I guess so. We won't do spoilers for "I Am Suicide" and "I Am Bane." Yeah, I would that appreciate is more, that. <laughs> that is more recent oh, stuff. I, Sorry, Sean. I did. I did read. I yeah. Am Suicide. All right. I do so why don't we do the first one and then I'll tag out? No, it's fair because that stuff really is is still very new. Okay. It's, it's still okay. That's you know. cool. Uh, so, I do want to talk a little bit about that kill. How do you feel that uh, "I Am Suicide" sort of advances the themes that we've talked about, if at all? Uh, I would, uh, yeah, I guess I would say it, it does. I mean, you know, uh, in the last episode I, I brought up that, you know, we, we have this weird moment where we watch Batman, we watch Bane break Batman's back again, but this time he's not doped up on Venom and, you know, he's just a regular guy. Uh, but, but, uh, but I talked about this, you know, he, he throws Batman into this cell that's full of water and Batman starts climbing the wall and then re-breaks his back. Um, I think I, I think as we've spoken about it, it sort of it sort of reaffirms the symbolism there that you know Batman is a man of his own making, and you know he will fix himself one way or another, and no other man is gonna you know stop that. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that that's that's an important moment in the work of Tom King, just because it's it's this man who's sort of saying no. You're not going to break me down. I'm going to come back from this, and I'm going to keep coming at you until I beat you, no matter what it takes. And that's a that's a different message on some level than I think we get from Chris in Sheriff of Babylon, and to an extent, Vision in Division. Uh, this is a man who is unbeatable. You know? Yeah. Like the only time the only time we really see Batman, at least in Tom King's arc, you know, just to sort of contrast that you know where batman legitimately thinks he's gonna die is when he's steering the plane into the harbor or whatever 
um, no man is going to kill him, but, well, standing on top of a plane, <laughs> you know, steering it with his bare hands, that just might, you know. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's not even a matter of him being afraid of death so much as it is, and we learned this in I Am Suicide, accepting that being Batman is a suicide mission. And not not necessarily wanting it to end, simply because he knows he has so much left to do. But being resigned to the fact that, you know, it, it it's going to happen. But it wasn't going to be Bane. You know, it wasn't going to be Bane. It wasn't going to be that day. And in order, for, in order for him to kill Batman, he was going to have to absolutely destroy him. And that was not within Bane's powers. So I just think that that's, that's such a strong message about the Batman character that a lot of writers don't hit on. And I'm glad you brought that up. Another thing I really like, I have liked, I guess, in the the like eight issues, I guess, I've read of, uh, of Tom King's Batman is I really like... I like Tom King's... Phil spoke about this earlier. Like, his seeming reverence for older comics. Like, this Batman feels so much less rigid than Batman's been written in recent years. He doesn't feel so dark and... Like, he makes jokes, you know? Like, he made he made a few jokes that made me laugh out loud, you know? And, like, he isn't this Batman who isn't, let anybody, isn't letting anybody in, you know? Like, he has a lot of relationships with people, you know? Like, he has... Obviously, there's Alfred, but, like, you know, um, in that second arc, you know, he's working with the entire Bat family. It's, like, Batwoman and Nightwing and, like, Clayface, which was super weird. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, it was cool as fuck. I was like, wow, that's, like, that's neat. Um, and then, um, Orphan and, you know, like, just like there, it's this, and like, again, his relationship to Gotham and Gotham girl, like I see this man who like, seems like he's trying to like connect with people, you know, and like, and trying to be a father figure for people who need one and trying to inspire people to do good. And like, that's a good look for Batman, you know, like, I don't. I don't need, ba- like, there's a place for dark, gritty, edgy, psycho Batman, but, like, I don't want him to be that all the time, you know? To, to, to your point, we actually see a lot of the relationship with Catwoman addressed later on. Cool! And I think that that, again, is a humanizing element, uh, and it speaks to the elements in the life of Batman that can bring him from that point of being this rigid monster uh, that that sort of pull him back and make him a man, and I think she's one of those people. But we won't do talk about that too much because you know Pete, you haven't read it and it's still relatively new. But um, cool. I want to wrap up this segment about Batman then by saying that where the run is now, it's not it's not over by any means. Uh, I feel that this isn't this this isn't in the same category of quality work as the stuff that we've talked about prior. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not good. And this has the, th- those stories have the benefit of being over and this isn't over yet. Uh, the button issue that he just did was excellent. Um, and I think, that- I think that speaks to the quality dip too. Is like this, these books, this book is obviously more beholden to DC's publishing interests than his other stuff. I think that's I think that's definitely true, but I, I you know I that's fair. I think yeah. he's I think they've given him a lot of free reign. I mean, he created Gotham and Gotham Girl, which is weird as hell. He's the first writer in forever to use Bane as a prominent villain. Uh, 
And, and he also presents a very different Batman than the one that we've seen. So I think where this book succeeds, it succeeds in ways that a lot of other Batman stories over the last, let's say, 20 years haven't, which is great. But it it's not as good as some of like what Grant Morrison did and, and, and Scott Snyder, but it's also not over. So I'm very much invested in it. I can't wait to see what he does with this book. And uh, I, I'm I'm pleased with it overall. Oh, dude, I, 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 I love it. it. And like, I've never read a Batman monthly title. Like, I always have read like the collected arcs or like you know the one offs and stuff that were like the big stories and stuff. But like, this is just good. Like, I really like it. It's fun. You know, it's like it's it's light, but it's heavy when it should be. You know, like it just feels like a good interpretation of Batman. Like, it's it's really enjoyable. You know, it's good meat and potatoes comics. And, like, I miss that. I haven't had a good ongoing superhero book that I've been invested in except for Invincible, you know? And, like, this is cool. I'm, I'm really into it. Marco, you wanted to say some things before we uh, wrap up? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to touch upon his um, – some of, like, the – I guess his motifs in writing. Uh, I know he does a lot of um, – when it comes to building up action, a lot of times there's this really, there's this really big buildup, like a long buildup. But what he does is he takes really little things. Uh, I remember there was this in Sheriff. There was this one instance where um, he's trying to buy something off this little kid, and then uh, he goes, "Oh, uh, he's like thanks." And then he, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he, like he didn't get something, so he like he just swears. He's like "fuck," and then the kid's like, "Oh yeah, yeah," and he like turns around and he starts reaching, and then immediately Chris is like "boom," and it's like "hey, whoa!" It's like hands, hands, and you see hands, and then like it, he's he's able to to pivot really, really quickly, and that's something I really love about his his writing. Yeah, um, he like lulls you into a sense of security. Yeah, and then like instantly just like boom, just, like smashing yeah. in the face with it. I'm like, it's those little moments that I think make him really powerful. Yeah, dude. Uh, I mean, as a writer, that like very much speaks to my sensibilities too. Because like that's like that's one of the things I always praise Robert Kirkman for. You know, is like quiet, quiet, quiet. Oh God, like shit's escalating. <laughs> and I yeah, I love that. And also from, um, I feel like a lot of it, he's very. Um, when he when he works with an artist, he's very directorial. He uses a lot of things that, at least from what I've seen, that you see in like cinematography. Um, there are these instances um, in the vision. There's always like a cut. Um, I, I I've been calling it a cut, um, but there's always there'll be something going on in the background when um, Vision and Virginia are home, and then it'll cut to the the cup, like the floating cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of the water vase. the vase the, the vase yeah. and um usually in, in cinematography you do that because the uh the director wants you to focus on something because that has to that has that's important in some way there's there's a weight to it and uh it's not necessarily world building or creating it's just as the director i can guide your eye i have to force your eye to do this and i want you to focus on this instance and then we see that throughout the series that gets cut every once in a while in between and then in the end we see it's oh because at the end uh virginia takes a sip of it and it kills her like those are those things that uh i i really really liked about him same thing in sheriff when um, yeah establishing objects as like having reoccurring themes around them yeah um 
so it's just those kind of moments. They were they had a couple in uh, in Omega Men, and one that stuck out to me in uh, in Sheriff uh, was the wastebasket when Sophia was uh, when I, I just thought it was her menstruating, but it turns out like later you realize, oh nope, she actually like miscarried and then uh, she's hemorrhaging, and it just focuses on the wastebasket because there's a weight to it. You don't know what it is yet, but he does, and he's guiding your eye to that. And, and then so the reveal just, has so much more weight. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I really love his work for that. I really praise him on that. And that's a great example of like show don't tell, you know, because oh, it happens yeah. and it's not just like, oh, she had a miscarriage. That's sad. No, it's like, you know, she's going through this whole thing and it culminates into that. We would be we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the nine panel grid. Yeah, I was oh, just yeah. about to bring that up. Yeah. So great. And Kale, I know that you know you're a big fan of that, so I want you to speak to that, if you will. No. No, it was it was uh, me. I'm the big fan of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I love the nine panel grid. Uh, yeah, Tom's uh, Tom's use uh, it really evokes a lot of um, smaller moment. Uh, moment by moments like when he when he does it he really wants you to focus uh second by second and even minute by minute you know he's take he's he's holding your hand through things he wants you to see that are very important um uh, which which is uh with everything we've talked about is really uh important uh, in his work. Yeah, and I, I think it's a contrast to how a lot of people use the nine panel grid where a lot of times it's used to um, tell more of a story, you know, to like get more yeah. text on the page or to you know, like have there be more dialogue or something. And I think a lot of times he does kind of use it to slow a moment down instead of extend it. And I think that's really cool. It's very different. Well, and especially in, uh, I think, it, yeah, in Vision, on a lot of those nine panel grids you'll see on the very last one it's extended to the bottom of the page to show that you know what's happening here isn't right it's not you know normal there's something extra point. happening yeah it's a really good there's a there's a lot of thought in in his his panel layouts in general yeah you know like it's very very directorial yeah like marco that's the right word you know like he he puts a lot of thought into the way a moment plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's kind of wrap up our conversation here. I feel like honestly we could do an episode about any one of the series that he's worked on, and it would feel full. We could have talked about uh, all of this for you know three hours, four hours. But um, I think over- it's cool to talk about the overall themes of his work, though, because they really are. You're, I think reading all they're of them they're almost really, connected. Oh, they enrich your experience. Yeah. You have a better you have a better understanding of each one of them when you read all of them. Yeah. Overall, uh, I would definitely agree with Phil that Tom King is one of the uh, best writers out right now. Uh, I'll always be a Rick Remender guy, but Tom King is right there for me. Uh, the 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 stuff that he's done is haunting. Uh, it, it it resonates. He hits on themes that I think are relevant to most people um and he has a great great ability to write emotion and i think that he uses he utilizes his artists very well to do that to show and 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 not always tell what characters are thinking and feeling um 
And you can tell that there is a lot of thought and effort and weight into everything that he does. And I think that speaks to the man that he is and the experiences that he has had that have led him to be so careful and so crafted with the things that he uh, puts out and says in these books. And uh, he's for certain made a fan for life out of me. And I'm excited to see what he does beyond Batman. And, you know, he's exclusive to DC now. Um, but I'm excited to see, you know, what his next project is and the project after that and after that. Yeah, so I mean, I it's, it's to a full so career. exciting that he's only been out for such a short amount of time. Yeah. You know? He's only been writing comics for three years and he's written these comics, you know? Have you guys seen Have you guys seen that uh, there are rumors, and maybe they've been confirmed by now, but he might be doing uh, some new gods? Yeah, that is confirmed, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is confirmed yeah. he's doing new gods. Oh, baby. Yeah. And it might be with uh, with Mitch Gerrards, the same guy from um, uh, Sheriff. Yeah. So. Oh man, that would be a reunite. Oh, mommy. <laughs> yeah, reunited, and it feels so good, baby. That's I'm very much looking forward to that. But yeah, man, I, Sean, I uh, I echo all your sentiments on him, and I think my big thing with Tom King is like he's not my favorite creator, but I do think he is objectively the best in the business right now. Like there, there are other people like, you know, Invincible is still my favorite comic. I still like, I love, uh, you know, Brian O'Malley and, uh, or I do that every fucking time. I swear to God. Brian O'Malley. <laughs> O'Malley. Lee O'Malley. Um, and, you know, and, the, and Brian K. Vaughn, they're creators that I feel more connected to than, than him. But I, I think Tom King is a, a cut above pretty much anybody else in the industry right now. He's putting out some incredible stuff and he's in his absolute infancy, you know? Yeah. It's like, Absolutely. think about what, what are the comics he's going to be writing five years from now. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, any more final thoughts? Go buy his mm. comics, man. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't read go buy, any of go buy his books, book. like, yeah. Go buy his novel. Like, go buy his com- Just get everything, Tom King. The man. guy is talented. Just read his stuff. Like, if you've enjoyed any of it, if you know, go go seek out the rest. Or if you've enjoyed our conversation about him and you, you've not read his stuff and you'd like to experience it, definitely do yourself a favor. Check it out. Check out Vision. Check out Sheriff. Think about it this way. How often do all five of us agree that something is phenomenal? <laughs> you know? And all Absolutely. these books, we liked all of them. Come on. Go fucking read them. <laughs> yeah. There's a conspiracy going on here. I don't like it. This is an ad. Tom King <laughs> bought him <them> out. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm looking to get some of that Tom King money. Um, <laughs> anyway, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation. Let us know if you'd like to hear us do more things like this. If you'd like more creator spotlights. If you'd like to hear us talk more about these individual series uh, in this format. We'd really appreciate to hear your feedback on that front. Or on any front, quite frankly, let us know uh, your thoughts about... Let us know your thoughts about the show um, if you'd like us to do, uh, Marco is losing his mind right now. He Dude, me and Marco had the exact same thought when you said that. It's like, can we please do an Alan Moore episode, people? Please. If the fans want it, we'll do it. So no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you can you can reach out to us many different ways to give us that feedback. Whether it's with a sweet five star rating on iTunes, which we always appreciate, we are a five star rated podcast. We're very proud. I will say this every episode. 
Uh, as long as we keep the streak going and earning those five-star ratings from you guys, you can find us on SoundCloud and all other podcast hosting platforms. You can also hit us up on social media. We are at the Comics Pals everywhere your social media is sold. You can hit us up on Gmail at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you there. And finally, on YouTube, you can leave us a comment. You can leave us a like, which we really appreciate. Subscribe to our channel and share it with your friends. Let other people know what we're doing. We are your pals. We'd like to be their pals too. So definitely do uh, share this with your friends. And then go make sure you check out our new show, The Video Game Pals. Yes. If you're a gamer. Video Game Pals. We'll be, we will be launching that this week. Hopefully Wednesday, if the stars align, you will be able to check that out. So definitely do look for I that. I promise you it will be up by the end of this week, by the latest. Like no later than Friday. First episode's going live. So keep an eye open for it. If Pete says it, it's gospel. Uh, so Pete and I are very proud of the product that we put together for that. And you will be introduced to some new people in the PALS network. So definitely stay tuned and let us know what you think about that as well. So with that being said, let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Um, so yeah, uh, if you guys want to check out some more work for me, you can go check out my writing over on CBR.com uh, where I, I write lists. I've got a new one coming out this week about uh, the 15 best 80s cartoon theme songs. So go check that out. Um, help me pay the bills. And I got a quiz out this week about uh, who said it, Thanos or Dark Side. So that's another one you can uh, go have some fun with. Um, and then uh, this will be officially the last week of Slack and Slash content. So if you guys are already a fan of the stuff we were doing over there, uh, please go check it out. You can watch the last podcast where we're going to talk about why the channel's ending. Um, and then even if you're not a fan of that stuff, I would appreciate if you go check out the two videos we're putting out this week because they're pilots for scripted shows I worked very hard on. And um, there's something I'm going to be trying to use to kind of uh, gauge interest in new work I'm going to be doing moving forward. So if you like those, let me know. Um, and it's something I'll definitely keep in mind. So please go check those out. Uh, and if you want to get me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete um, pretty much everywhere. So if you want to come have a conversation with me about Tom King or um, see cute pictures of my cat, go follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, you know, I'll talk to you there. Sweet. Kale? You can see my stuff and the comics my friends put out at uh, panelspublishing.com. That's not right. No, it is right. Why do I do this? It's my website every week. Uh, you can also buy our stuff at selfie.com slash panels publishing and comicsology.com uh, slash panels publishing. You can find us on Facebook at panels comics uh, and on Twitter at panels comics with an X. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at T O T O I N T O W. That's Toto Into. Awesome. Marco? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at woe is Marco and on Twitter at woe is Marco. Um, I did want to just, oh, underscore. underscore, woe is Marco underscore on Twitter. Uh, I did just want to do a quick shout out. Uh, I re just got a book called Virus Tropical. Uh, it's by an Ecuadorian Canadian, I mean, Ecuadorian Colombian, sorry, uh, political cartoonist. Uh, and so, you know, just, uh, helping out the, helping out Ecuadorian arts in little ways so um definitely go check it out if you want if you want it's by uh power paula um she's the uh the writer and artist and that's her her handle power paula so go check her out cool and uh phil is cyborg is cyborg he doesn't understand Jeez. how branding works <laughs> cyborg bebop on twitter and all that good stuff and i am 
at Sean Soapbox on Twitter. You can hit me up to talk about our love of Tom King. Uh, or you can tell me that you hate the Phoenix, in which case I'll probably block you. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I won't block you, but I will argue with you vehemently. Uh, or, or anything else for that matter. I'm up for any kind of conversation. So with that, we are the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.